Automakers, suppliers, and tech companies are investing tens of billions of dollars into developing autonomous, connected, electrified, and shared cars. Mark Wakefield of Alex Partners explains why most of that money is going to be wasted. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, this automotive industry, it is headed for massive disruption. Whether we're talking about electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, ride-sharing vehicles, it's really coming. In fact, one company has called it a pileup of epic proportions. And in fact, the author of the report from that company is Mark Wakefield. He's the global co-head for the automotive and industrial practice at Alex Partners, which is a global consulting company. And Mark, great having you on today's show. Pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Also joining us today are Murray Feldman from WWJ and Joe White from Reuters. Great having the both of you here, here, John. Okay, EVs, AVs, ride-sharing, a pile-up of epic, epic proportions. Why do you say that, Mark? Well, because we all know that's where things are going, electrified powertrains. Uh, we know that there's a great promise in autonomy, and we know there's a great promise in providing mobility in new ways. But the pathway from here to there is going to be really expensive because everyone knows that and everyone's piling in. A lot of electric vehicles getting produced, a lot of people competing to make that autonomous algorithm. And at the end of the day, you're going to see a, a, uh, a narrowing of that field. Into so you're winners. saying there's too many right now spending way too much money. And when the reality hits the fan, they're going to lose a lot of money. Uh, they, they will. The ones that don't make it through or the ones that aren't smart about choosing their place and how to go through it. Doesn't mean you don't do it, but it means you gotta be pretty smart about it because there's a lot of people from a lot of different industries that want a piece of this. Any idea how that shakeout is going to look? How many are going to fall by the wayside? Well, on the electric vehicle side, it's sort of getting in the generational, being competitive in the generational side, but choosing where you wanna play. In the autonomous side, it really makes sense to not have too many different algorithms. You can't, there's you know, 50 companies now trying to make a full eight, level four or five totally controlled AV. It's very difficult to say there'll be 50 different ways of controlling a vehicle autonomously. There's gonna be you know, 10 or so. And if regulators have their say, maybe even fewer than that, right? If there'd yeah. be some pressure for standard. I've got a question about kind of the timing of all this because I've looked at your, at, at your report, which is just fascinating. And it seems like 2019 is one of the peak years, if not the peak year in your horizon, for launches of electric vehicles. But the market doesn't seem to come in, even in China, until something like 2030. Yeah. That's a fairly long time. And I'm just wondering if you could elaborate yeah. on that. I mean, is, is, is sort of 2019 to 2030 sort of the valley of death that these companies have to slog through? It depends very much on the region. So I wouldn't say China is the valley of death that long. But yes, the U.S., you could say that. Uh, and Europe, somewhere in between. 
because China is pushing it on, on multiple fronts, but the government is pushing it in a much higher degree than others. So we do see that market going, going further. So the number you talked about, 2030, was more of a broad one. Right. But yeah, there's that trough to get through, and you have to be smart about how you're going to play in that, that you come out the other side. What's smart? Smart is, I'm not going to say, look, we, we, have a, we have some data about the average uh, ICE vehicle or gas-powered vehicle uh, sells about 100,000 per model. An average electric vehicle is about 10 times less than that. It's about a tenth of that. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a plan for your new great vehicle that's going up against 119 more entrances next year, new entrances next mm -hmm. year. Um, maybe won't sell 100,000, might sell 10,000. And what is your business case? What's your industrialization do to do that and to see your way through the generational gaps at much lower volumes than maybe you planned? And so billions of dollars are being spent to get to that end game. But in the meantime, sales are going to be down, revenues may be down, profits may be down. They're trying to balance both. And it probably isn't going to work, according to your report. Well, it's a tough one because you've got these autonomous and electric and shared and connectivity, all the case elements that are investments beyond the normal cycle of products. You still have to get the next pickup out. You still have to get the 99% of the vehicles out there. Um, and you've got to invest in that stuff in addition to figuring out how much do I invest, where, how do I partner, how do I see my way through this ecosystem as it emerges without wasting billions? But in some cases, OEMs, the car companies, do not have choices. When it comes to electrified cars, battery electric cars, the law says thou shalt make them. Yeah. When it comes to autonomous cars, there's no law about it. You know, there, there's no mandate. But what would be your advice to, to automakers? Or, or at least how do you see this playing out? Because you've got a company like General Motors doing it, everything in-house yeah. and really racing along. You've got a company like Fiat Chrysler that's doing zero in-house and working with Waymo, yeah. the Google spinoff that's got all this technology. What, yeah. what kind of advice do you give OEMs in that case? It depends on the OEM, but most companies can't be all things to all people. And so you see OEMs that are very strong at assembly, at integration, at vehicle design, at distribution, at being global. They have some strengths that can be leveraged if you put those in partnership with some technology companies, with suppliers, and with dealers, rental car companies that have access to large fleets that are used to to keeping the trains running on time or keeping the cars ready for you. Um, people are good at different things, and that ecosystem can be put together in a way that doesn't have everybody competing with each other, but instead has people cooperating more. And so these partnerships are generally where we're, we're bringing most OEMs, but it depends a lot on the situation. So you were talking about being smart before, and one of the things that you had mentioned to us before we hit the air was that you have to organize it in a smart way. If you're bringing on that many partners and working with that many components, human components, yeah. if you will, or corporate components, you have to do it smart. You have to understand where everybody should be and needs yeah. to be and shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to do it in a way that if you bet a bit on the wrong horse, you've got enough elsewhere where you can take your piece of the puzzle and it actually fits in another piece. So if you're betting deep on one technology, in a part, uh, your partner has one technology, and they start fading and something else starts coming up, think about how you would disengage with that one and go into that winning one 
because you've got a valuable piece yourself. Well, so how do you fit? Now, so I want to pursue that because certainly, and again, your report looks at this, but you do see these kind of, I guess you call them families, I guess, you know, coalescing around, um, you know, Mobileye, uh, Mobileye, Intel, yep. uh, Mobileye, Intel, Delphi, yep. you know, Bosch. Um, you see the Japanese companies. You see them sort of trying to sort of coalesce these different family approaches to yeah. um, autonomy and electrification. And I'm wondering what do you think will drive a, f any, a further consolidation? Because I think, I mean, it just seems obvious that you're right, that 50 different approaches to autonomy aren't going to work. Quite possibly, multiple approaches to electrification aren't going to be supported by the marketplace. Mm -hmm. What drives companies to say, okay, Basta, you know, they were right, I should do this partnership or that partnership as opposed to, I can make this work. I can. I think I can. I think I can. You know. I mean, a clear-eyed view on what's what's it going to take to get there, and how long is it going to take to get there, um, and that we have to produce free cash flow at the end of the day, uh, instead of we're going to um, you know, increase the value of our firm just by people thinking we're into the new thing, and so when people take that sort of more realistic, long-term view, um, and they look at their current investments how much capital they can put towards these new ones, what they're honestly good at, what they can tack on to those, and what other people are honestly good at, how those pieces can come together, it, it starts to make sense to, uh, to people and get them into a view of how they can win by being part of a bigger pie versus owning the pie. You, now you have, so this is a different thing, but you have a, um, a downturn forecast for the U.S. market, uh, yeah. not necessarily for the global market, but for no. the U.S. market, a downturn forecast, a reasonably uh, significant one for 2020, 2019 into yeah. 2020. Um, th that would usually tend to accelerate shakeouts. Do you see, see that happening this time, or is it a different dynamic? Well, we have it as a fairly mild one, I think down 15% or a little bit more. So not an epic one like the 2008 and 9 version. So with the balance sheets in the state they are, we're in a better spot, and with labor agreements, we're in a better spot to adjust. That said, uh, it is going to consume capital during that period. But this market's a cyclical market. It has been for 120 years. Mm -hmm. It will continue to be so. So the capital balance sheets need to be need to be thought of through a cycle. And so, while there might be a downturn coming, and we believe there is, um, we also think there's an upturn coming after that. And you have to plan these kinds of long-term big investments through a cycle, instead of saying it'll only be bad or it'll only be good. And that's that's the winning approach. And the customer, the end customer used to be the person who would buy the car or the two cars for the garage in the suburbs or wherever they're living. Uh, and that's changing now. Yeah. And now we've got ride sharing and we've yeah. got car sharing. And I know yeah. one of your statistics indicated that for every car that goes to one of those models, yeah. you're going to lose 19 sales. Yeah. How does, after all this shakeout and then upturn and then when we really get to this autonomous and electric and, 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 and driverless car technology and sharing. How yep. does that impact the entire industry, the economy, states like where we are right now, Michigan? Well, it moves things in a different way. So if you're only thinking it will stay as it is, you're probably going to be out of a chair when the musical chairs happens towards that car sharing or towards a robo-taxi. Uh, if you have a credible spot to play, you have a chair to sit on, um, then your business will look different. The customers will look different. What's important to them may be a little different. But 
fundamentally you can still be in that space because a car that goes that has much higher utilization wears out faster. You know, it's not a full even mix, but it does wear out faster, so you've got more replication in that. And getting to faster um, turnover means you're selling more parts onto those cars. But the thing that strikes me too is that it's not necessarily all one thing or all the other. Certainly in oh, yeah. the short to medium term, I, you know, I just went out to Wyoming to ride around in the new Chevy Silverado, which was a, a, a lot of fun. And uh, they threw up a slide of, I think it's like 13 states, I think it was, that have 20% plus pickup trucks as share of new vehicles sold. And, yeah. so you, and, it's, and it's the heartland states, it's the red states. Absolutely. And you just sort of look at that, like, okay, right. So th those states aren't going to go to autonomous shared vehicles anytime yeah. soon. Oh yeah. So the, so so if you're if you're a, certainly if you're a D D Detroit automaker, it seems like you've got to live and prepare for a world where the pickup truck internal combustion market lives and generates cash. Yeah. You've got to serve it and invest in it, and then you've also got to do this other. It's not you can't choose, yeah. right? Oh yeah, and we have and we have car sharing in its current and in a robo car sharing view, um, ride sharing in its current and in a robo taxi view as just slivers of markets, or not sliver, but portions of market. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, it's very different. Your third car or your second car, what you need of that versus your commuting car or your primary car. If you're in urban, if you're in rural, very different needs. Um, some of those needs are met better by car sharing. Some of the second and third car things or the university campus are, are met better with, with ride sharing. Um, it is a lower cost end goal. The people just don't want to be left out and have, you know, an iPhone show up and be the one selling Blackberries. Mm -hmm. Mark, your study also says that OEMs better be careful if all they're going to do is sell cars to the ride-sharing companies or their owners, like Uber and Lyft. Uh, does that mean that you would advise uh, automakers that they need to get into the ride-sharing business themselves? It, again, depends very much. They need experience in it, and there's lots of different ways to go in an experience way. Doing it in a very, very expensive way would be very difficult at the moment to say you need to do that. Um, but having an approach that says, I don't have to go with Lyft or Uber. I have a model that can work, and I'll understand what that market needs. If they can participate enough to really understand what that market needs, that puts them in a good spot. So in China, Didi um, earlier this year assembled a whole fairly large group of, of automakers and suppliers yeah. and, and um, um, essentially gave them all rings. Uh, and, um, but I'm wondering, if you, as you look at that deal, do you see risk for the participants in that? Or is that, you know, is that some basically, you know, yes, Didi is another market, it's another customer, and uh, it's, it's not necessarily worse or better than, and, than any other. I'm just curious, so you look at that arrangement, what, what you see? I think if you're sitting... In China, looking at that, you'd rather have a ring than not. <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And see what happens. And do it without uh, being the one funding it all. Being, you mm -hmm. know, you don't want to be the donkey that carries it along. Right. But you want to be in that game. Mark, based on what you're saying and, and building on what Joe just said, it looks like there's going to be a lot of M&A activity, yeah. mergers and acquisitions. And partnership, yeah, mm -hmm. and partnership. Yeah. So you do see that happening? Absolutely, and, and we see it in our business, a lot, of, a lot of advising on that, a lot of help to shape those things, because those are fraught with risk. That's not making a car and making it on time and making it in high quality. Those are the things that, that historically has had a mixed track record in the auto industry. 
When you talk to these companies behind closed doors, do they seem to understand what you are saying right now and what your company believes? They do sometimes. Sometimes it's a challenge where we're in the normal business. So this idea of getting out of the paradigm of a vehicle is going to sell 100,000 units of that model and thinking your way through generations of 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 is a difficult thing for some of them. You're putting... Uh, electronics and autonomous capabilities into a car and not being able to monetize it that day and it goes up against you know a competing car at a price point and has to sell they have to explain to the CFO why their car costs 5,000 more that's a difficult thing at the moment. how do they get through that how do they get through that and continue to stay in business with executives around the table saying we know what we're gonna do we know what we're gonna partner for we know what we're not gonna do we see how this is going to go. We're all together. I should be able to talk to the head of R&D and the head of IT and the head of HR and ask about where that future goes, and they should all give the same answer because they're giving that answer to their troops and everyone's aligned on And not only that, they've got to give the answer for the next five to ten years, right? It's got to be, it's got to be an answer that can see them through this period where the demand isn't necessarily there on the EV side. The technology isn't necessarily there on the AV side but they want to participate and they want to get through because there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Well, they have enough money to get through. Excuse me. No, no, but you're talking, too, about really fundamental culture change. Like, like how do we do cost accounting and scorekeeping for for putting this feature in or that feature in or investing in a a battery? Um, um, Because you can see that tension right now and you know yeah. in, in the industry over stuff that costs way less than the yeah. than the hardware and software for an autonomous vehicle yeah you know and automatic emergency braking is still seems to be a struggle for some companies and that's a yeah fraction well that one's probably going to get mandated in but well, it is <laughs> but, I'm, but i'm just saying going yeah. ahead of the mandate that's, yeah. that's you know it's anyway yeah in, in the past you've had things that it's really been it's driven and, and and you know some of the safety things the adoption has been very driven by mandates, right? The airbag, anti-lock braking. You think of these things. The industry actually likes that because it forces everybody to do the same yeah. thing. And as long as everyone's got to do it, you're not at a competitive disadvantage. I'd yeah. like to ask you, though, does anybody do uh, value accounting? This industry is brilliant at cost accounting. It knows what everything costs to the fraction of a penny but they can't tell you what the value is of it is. And some yeah. things might be worth investing in, even if the books say, hey, we're not making any money on it, uh, from a value standpoint, yeah. from the customer's perspective, that yeah. might be the purchase decision. It's very difficult. Um, many of them try, and usually doing it more as, we just are going to make this as an investment. And the strength of some executives to say, we're going to push this through, and I, I believe in this, and I'm going to make sure this happens. Um, and people say, okay, well, that's, that's John's uh, baby, so we know we'll put the $1,000 in for John's baby, and hopefully it does work out. Um, that's how a lot of it works, because the, the, uh, they still believe, or they still have a, a, a process that believes it needs to compete with the vehicle beside it on the lot. And and it won't if it's a thousand or two thousand dollars more expensive. So getting that concept of putting value into a car, and especially if you can't price for it, but you get it later in a service revenue or in customer satisfaction or customer experience, is a very difficult one to argue against the now mm-hmm. uh, by the way OEMs have set up. And and when you wonder if people are going to be able to afford it or want to afford all of that new stuff. One of your studies found that uh, 
uh, it's going to cost the automakers maybe 10 times more than what people want to pay yeah. for some of this technology. Yeah, if you stack up the current, the current cost, and predominantly in LiDAR, uh, the current costs, it's about 10x what the willingness to pay is. Now, we're talking about things, though, that customers haven't really experienced, so it's a bit of a tough one. You know, if, it, if these things come in and they can make lives better in, a, in an insanely wonderful way, um, people will start to pay for it in different ways. But in terms of, you know, would I tick that option box? Yeah, it's about 10 times the cost now. So there's that period of getting the LiDAR costs down, getting various costs down, that, has, that the industry has to be able to have the right way to fund through. And it's probably not competing 50 different ways. So how much, how much, of a, how much more complicated does this get for automakers um, because within the past, and again, this is from your study, in the past, I think, th three years or so, two or three years, materials costs um, have gone up 800-plus a vehicle, I think, you, yeah. I, um, yeah. which is a fairly significant number that, that you know, is hard to get back from the customer. Yeah. Um, tariffs, you know, who knows? Well, since we've been sitting here, who knows what's happened with tariff <laughs> policy? But tariffs quite possibly are going up. Content rules mm -hmm. are going to become more complex, probably. Um, Talk about how that complicates matters because those are costs that are happening right now yeah. and, and you know, don't get repaid. Generally, they happen to everyone. So to John's point earlier, that's a bit nicer when it happens to everyone. But it's still a challenge. And it's a challenge in that if you get into a more of a downturn or you find you have to spend a lot of money, the instinctual reaction of this industry is the CFO goes to the head of purchasing and says, go get me more money from the supply base, and we get into this cycle. <laughs> um, and so it, there has to be a plan, and everyone buying into that plan, to protect some of these investments through and have thought through the investments long enough to, that everyone can believe it, that the investors also can believe those, to give the company the runway to get through. Uh, that's a challenge, and it becomes a challenge when capital gets constrained. And so when all of the costs go up equally across the board and everybody has to do this, was the late Sergio Marchionne right when he said, we're too redundant, we're going to have to form partnerships, and if it doesn't happen when I'm here, it's somebody else's problem to solve? The, the partnerships thing, yes, generally, I would say that's become that reality. You just look at all the partnerships in electric vehicle and autonomous, we've got that in our study as well, about just how many partnerships have come through, and it's an accelerating pace, right? Because it used to be a world where the OEM was king, they fought with each other, a lot of suppliers, you know, five, five OEMs have 50% of the value add, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it takes 50 suppliers to get 50% of the supplier value add, and of course, dealers are also fragmented. But now there's technology companies with nearly unlimited balance sheets, especially if they've got a friend at SoftBank uh, the, uh, or, or Google or Waymo or Apple, these big, big balance sheets that the OEMs haven't had to play against. And so they do have to cooperate more and figure out how they play in a world where they don't call all the shots and they can't do it independently. I'm glad you raised dealers because we've been talking mainly about suppliers and car companies. Yeah. What's the impact of this on dealers and the daily rental companies, the Hertzes, the Avises, the Enterprises? Yeah, they, the Hertzes, Avis, and Enterprises are in more of an existential issue than the dealers. They're more believe. threatened. Yeah, yeah, by, and particularly by the ride-sharing, car-sharing, and, and robo-taxi side. If they've got more people going to fleets, they can transition to a world where they add on a good fleet management business. 
Um, but the idea of and the, the real estate they have, the operations they have, um, are at risk. Now, dealers are a different story. It can go a lot of different ways, and the regulatory things have driven quite a bit of, of what the market looks like in the U.S. today. Um, if you look at different markets, though, that have different regulations, you see new players coming in and trying to offer a car to a customer in a different way that customers like. And so that's a bit scary as a dealer. It's a, I, I, your report doesn't really, I don't think, go too deeply, or at least the version I saw, too deeply into regulation. But we've, we've used, you've used the word several times and, and in different contexts. Is there any way to model sort of the, the, the potential impact of regulatory change or regulatory disruption? Mm -hmm. um, or do you just assume that the regulations will be the way they are forever? I'm just sort of curious because, yeah. well, for obvious reasons, along all these fronts, AVs, EVs, dealers, how do you model that? Yeah, you, well, you model it by having scenarios and saying, I believe there's, and, and not a lot of scenarios, but, you know, three to six scenarios that you believe the world could look like that are meaningfully different from each other. And regulation is a big deal, of one, it's a big aspect of those. And you say, okay, if the world goes this way, here's how my investments now and my strategy would play out. And if it's in a lighter regulation or more favorable regulation, here's how it would play out. How can I put a strategy together that allows me to be okay or at least shift my pattern depending on where this goes, because you don't know exactly where it'll go. It's not like the NHTSA, where the, the, the NHTSA regs where it used to you know, creep in over time and you'd have lots of time to prepare for that technology. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, quickly here, we're getting down to the end. Uh, your study also predicts that by 2030, which in automotive terms is just a hop and a skip and a yep. jump away, that uh, Autonomous tax, taxis are going to reduce car sales by about 1.6 million units. That's a yeah. big number. Yeah. No, we see that. We've seen when we look through the potential that it has, it's, it does take these slices of the market out where it's better. It's just better if it can be made to work. And by 2030, we believe in, in certain environments, you know, replacing the, the car you, you might have with your kid at uh, university, um, with that university's fleet of robo-taxis is a very real scenario. And cutting out a used car eventually cuts out a new car. Sure does. Fascinating discussion, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been, I, I know we've been all over the map, but it's a topic <laughs> that goes all over the map. Murray Feldman from WWJ, Joe White from Reuters. Great having you guys here as well. And I, like I always say, want to thank all of you for having tuned in. Underwriting for the production of Autoline this week has been provided by Borg Warner. The world is changing at an ever-increasing pace. No matter what the mode of transportation, there is always the need for an efficient propulsion system. And that's exactly what Borg Warner has been doing since the earliest days of the automotive industry. We create innovative mobility technologies that reduce energy consumption and emissions while improving performance. Our proven track record has made us an industry leader in forward-looking propulsion solutions for combustion, hybrid, and electric vehicles.